Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 18 through 23. Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. What is the greatest threat? facing the United States of America. Right off the bat, let me make it clear that the greatest peril facing the U.S. and indeed the entire world is not climate change. So that we need not be alarmed at the claim that the world will end in 12 years if climate change is not addressed. Artificial intelligence, AI, is not the greatest threat facing our world. Much has been written and said of the future potential threat of AI to human existence. How that it could be, we could be building these machines that could ultimately prove our demise. And regarding these and other threats, I would dare say that they pale in comparison to that single and greatest of all threats facing the world, which is the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Here in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, issues one of the most searing, dreadful indictments against sinful humanity. Beginning here in verse 18 all the way through to chapter 3 and verse 20. The word of God spotlights the truth regarding the universality of sin and the consequent need of human redemption. That is the burden of chapter 1 verse 18 all the way to chapter 3 and verse 20. Having mentioned the good news regarding the revelation of the righteousness of God verse 17. Paul now turns to the bad news regarding the revelation of God's wrath here in verse 18, and this really is as it should be. For there's no true ministry of the gospel that does not declare to men both the provision of God's saving grace and the predicament of their sinful condition. The truth of the matter, beloved, is until the sinner comes to an understanding that he stands under the wrath of God, that he stands under the judgment of God, He'll be in no position to appreciate the blessing of reconciliation with God, the blessing of peace 
with God. And yet the sad fact is that many today downplay or even avoid the subject of God's wrath, which no doubt explains why sin is not taken as seriously as it should. There are two things we want to discuss from this passage this morning, and the first is obvious. We want to consider firstly the revelation of the wrath of God, the revelation of the wrath of God. The opening clause of verse 18 reads, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The verb is in the present continuous tense, suggesting that the wrath of God is no sudden impulse of God where all of a sudden he gets into a fit of rage, losing his cool as we understand human wrath. This wrath of God is his constant, continual, I would say, dis-ease, his intolerance toward that which offends his holy and righteous nature. As John Murray puts it, God's wrath, quote, is the holy revulsion of his being against that which is the contradiction to his holiness, end quote. So that consistent with his holiness, the wrath of God is being and has always been revealed throughout human history. Indeed, it was being revealed in the days of Noah when God sent a flood upon the earth, when God in the days of Noah and Enoch sent a flood upon the world which deluged the entire world, wiping off the face of the earth every living thing except for Noah and his family and those animals which were on the ark. This because, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The wrath of God was being revealed when God rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah for the wickedness of those cities. Genesis chapter 19 verses 23 to 29. And the wrath of God was surely being revealed at Calvary, when through his suffering and death, our Lord Jesus was being made sin for us, when he, in his body, was bearing the just wrath of God, the just punishment of God for our sins there on the cross. Today, the wrath of God is being revealed in much of the catastrophes, diseases, and social ills we're witnessing in our time. Notice I did not say every catastrophe is necessarily the wrath of God. But surely I want to suggest that some of what we are seeing in our society, all the confusion, the hatred, the division, the, 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 the continual disintegration of our society, I believe wholeheartedly when I line up where we are with the word of God, it seems to me that these United States, and not only these United States, but many other places of similar ilk, they are under the wrath of God, the judgment of God. I believe that wholeheartedly. Indeed, the wrath of God is going to be most severely revealed at the end of time when our Lord Jesus Christ will return. When according to 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8, the Bible says, Our Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus 
We read in verse 9 of that very chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So Paul begins his exposition of the gospel with the revelation of the wrath of God. No, listen, for Paul, the message of the gospel is not about human flourishing nor about how to be happy and successful in life. The message of the gospel is not about how we can win friends and influence people. No, it is not about how we can have a happy marriage. It is about, first of all, yes, God's righteousness has been revealed. It's available by faith, but it's also bad news, namely that men and women outside of Christ are under the wrath of God. Let's talk about the source of God's wrath. The source of God's wrath. And our text clearly tells us the source of God's wrath. It is revealed, notice, from heaven. It is revealed from heaven. Now, why is that important for us to know? It is important because what scripture portrays as God's acts of judgment in the world are often regarded, simply regarded by skeptics, by unbelievers, as accidents of history. They're often shrugged off as freaks of nature, as mere disturbance in nature. In fact, sociologists will look today at our society and they'll give you myriads of reasons as to why we are the way we are. But here's the point. We notice here the source of God's wrath is said to be from heaven. And that's very important. Why? Because the word of God wants to make it clear, consistent with Amos 3 verse 6, which says this. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The word of God here in Romans 1.18 would have us understand this, that as the moral governor of this world, God actively observes and responds in wrath and judgment to the evil deeds of men that so-called accidents of history are really manifestations of his wrath. They are tokens of his displeasure. He sends upon the earth. Where? From heaven. That is why in Genesis chapter 19, verse 24, shortly after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, here's what the text of Scripture says. Genesis chapter 9, verse 24, The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire. Here it comes, from the Lord out of heaven. Here in verse 18, not only do we see the source of God's wrath, but we see, secondly, the scope of God's wrath. The scope of God's wrath. If you look at the B part of verse 18, the word of God says there, it is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It is said of Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States, that one Sunday when he came home from church, his wife asked him, what did the preacher preach on today? And in his typical dry, concise manner, President Coolidge replied, sin. And when Mrs. Coolidge pressed him further, well, what did he say about sin? President Coolidge replied, he was against it. Well, how is that for a good sermon report? How is that for a good sermon report? What did he preach about sin? What did he say about it? He's against it. I think that was a good report, and I'll tell you why. That report was quite telling. For if it was so evident that the preacher was against sin, 
The fact is, even more so, the high, holy God of heaven is uncompromisingly and irreconcilably hostile towards sin. God, the scripture tells us, is against it. And this is the actual teaching of our text. Verse 18, look at what he says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, which is to say that in no way can he tolerate, let alone countenance, sin. For as the prophet Habakkuk tells us in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, he says this of God, he is of purer eyes than to look upon evil. That is why he cannot but punish sin. That is why he cannot but in wrath and judgment punish sin. How contrary to the popular prevailing view of our time, that God is so loving a God, God is so merciful, God is so loving that he would never consign anyone to hell. He's too loving a God to judge anyone. Have you ever heard that? And yet in Psalm 11 verses 5 and 6, the Bible teaches that in his aversion to the wicked, he will send severe judgment upon them. Verse 7, here's what verse 7 tells us. Verse 7 actually tells us why God must judge the wicked, the unsaved. He says this, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And we, beloved, are having in our time, in our day, a great dearth of gospel preaching that will hold the love of God on one hand and the wrath of God on the other hand. People today are being sent on their merry way to a Christless eternity. Why? Because they are preachers who are scared of opening up the truth concerning the wrath of God. Listen, the wrath of God is very much part of what it means to preach the gospel. If we see it here in our text, Paul says, first of all, the righteousness of God is being revealed. That's good news. You and I do not have it. God has revealed it. God has provided it in Jesus Christ. But in the same breath, Paul says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now our text tells us that he is against, notice, all ungodliness and unrighteousness. You need to circle the word all. It is important we take note of the word all because there are many who imagine that while God will judge people for their sins, he will sort of overlook certain sins as they imagine their sins are not as bad as others. But notice what Paul says. He's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Be they egregious sins or so-called respectable sins, the truth is all forms of ungodliness and unrighteousness which men commit angers and provokes the holy and righteous God of heaven. That's the message of our text. Well, what does Paul mean by ungodliness and unrighteousness? Ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness speaks of blatant disregard, blatant, outright disregard of God. It is a posture toward God. It's an attitude toward God. It's an attitude of irreverence toward God. It's an attitude of denial and dismiss, dismissal of God. 
It's an attitude of heart and mind whereby one operates as though there were no God. God does not exist. To be ungodly is to be anti-God at heart. That's what it means to be ungodly. The negative prefix on. Ungodly means that one is anti-God. No, one might not be consciously hateful toward God. One might not have a feeling of what we might call antipathy toward God or aversion toward God. But here's the point. Jesus said, who is not with me is against me. And if we are not for God in terms of serving God, in terms of doing his will, in terms of obeying him, in terms of loving him, then according to the word of God, we are in fact doing what? Hating him. That's ungodliness. Unrighteousness speaks of sinful conduct, particularly toward others. I would put in that as well, toward ourselves and toward others. That is why, for example, what we're going to see in our text this morning would be manifestations of ungodliness. And then next week, we're going to look at manifestations of unrighteousness. Manifestations of ungodliness, how people react toward God. Manifestations of unrighteousness, how in consequence of their rejection of God, their anti-God posture, they give themselves to various kinds of sins. Ungodliness, we would say, then, is the source of all unrighteousness. Because where there is a lack of proper attitude toward God, it's going to show in our conduct. All sins derive from a lack of regard and reverence for God. That's illustrated in our text. Now, having considered, then, the revelation of God's wrath, we need to look, secondly, and finally this morning, at the reasons for God's wrath. The reasons for God's wrath. And stated in the last clause of verse 18, the reason for the wrath of God is this, that by their unrighteousness, Paul says, men suppress the truth. Verse 18, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, the question is, what is this truth that they suppress? And I submit to you, based on verse 19, it is the divinely revealed truth, what we might call evidential truth, which, according to verse 19, can be known about God inasmuch as God has shown it to men. This truth, we see in verse 20, concerns the attributes of God's eternal power and divine nature, which, though invisible, Paul tells us, even though invisible, are clearly perceived through creation, through the things that have been made. And the truth, these truths regarding the attributes of God, Paul suggests, are no recent discovery. The truth regarding the attributes of God is no new thing. It's no new discovery. Because look at what he says there in verse 20. There in verse 20 he says this, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. What is interesting, my friends, is this. Archaeology has unearthed evidences, myriads of evidences to the effect, to the effect that man is a worshipping creature who has some knowledge of a divine being. Every culture has some artifact, some token, some testimony to the fact that they believe in a higher power. Atheistic countries believe in a higher power. Because here's the, here's the fact. 
Atheists will say, well, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in the supernatural. Well, hold a minute. You, we, one doesn't have to believe in the supernatural to believe in the idea of a supreme entity. In communist countries, it's a state. You see, what, what a culture values, what a culture values is what it, it, it's what it worships. As we have said time and again, the very word culture is derived from the Latin word cultus, which means worship. What is culture? Culture is the way our society worships. It's what they value. And the point I'm making here is this, that every person there is who has ever walked the face of the earth has some awareness of God. Now, it might not be as sharp for every person, right? It might be blurred, more, more blurred for, for some. But every person, nonetheless, has some awareness that there is a supreme being called that supreme being, whatever you will, it's the idea of God. Psalm 19 verse 1 expresses the truth of God's self-revelation, of God's self-disclosure. The heavens, the psalmist says, declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. In fact, the psalmist says, listen, day unto day uttered speech, night unto night shows knowledge of the, of the fact of what? The fact that God is. So we have in these declarations of our text what is known in Christian theology as the doctrine of general revelation. The doctrine of general revelation says, among other things, that God can be detected both in creation and in our conscience. And this is the burden of our text here in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 23, according to the word of God. There are truths concerning God which every human being is capable of knowing. And given the universality as well as the clarity of these truths, these revelations, people are without excuse. As Romans 1, 20 asserts, we read for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. They are without excuse. They are without excuse in the sense that they cannot legitimately plead ignorance of God's existence. Why? Because it's not like God has hidden himself from them. God has made himself evident in plain, open sight, Paul says, suggests, in the things that he has made. In fact, as Paul will later state in, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, even with the law of God, without the law of God rather, the Gentiles who, the, the, of the heathen world, they instinctively recognize God's law as indicated how? By their actions, as well as by their consciences, which either accuse or excuse them in their various deeds. That's what Paul says. And then thirdly, given God's revelation of himself in his creation, men are without excuse, which means they are, they'll be defenseless in the day of judgment. And so at issue in our text then is not man's recognition of the revelation of God in creation, rather at issue is man's response to that revelation. Now what we have in verses 21 to 23, in verses 21 to 23, are the kinds of responses that sinful man gave to the truth of God as disclosed in his creative works. And in these verses, Paul cites the disposition, he cites the attitude, the mindset, as well as the course of life which men adopted in response to God's revelation of himself in creation. 
And in a word, as we said earlier, what was man's response? Man's response was one of ungodliness. Man's response was one in which he says, away with that, I want none of that. His was an outright denial and rejection of God. And in verses 18 and following then, we see the expression of man's ungodliness. The expression of man's ungodliness is clearly indicative, as we'll see, of a willful, deliberate moral choice against God. And these expressions of ungodliness constitute then the reasons for the wrath of God. So let me list them very quickly. I know time is going. First of all, we see in verse 18 that the reason for the wrath of God is this, that in response to the revelation of God in creation, men suppressed it. They suppressed it. They squelched it. They stifled it. How? The text tells us. By their unrighteousness. And the point is this, that committed as they were to an agenda, a lifestyle of sinfulness, sinful, ungodly living, they shut out every hint of its convicting, transforming work in their lives. People today continue to do that. They'll come under the preaching of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God, or the reading of the word of God. And as soon as the word of God begins to hit home to their conscience, as soon as the word of God begins to impress on them the enormity of their guilt, the enormity of their sins, what do they seek to do? They seek to suppress it, to stifle it. And you get, you know some of the ways they do it? They drown themselves in all kinds of worldly distractions and sinful pleasures. That's the drug they use. They drown their consciences, they suppress the word of God, they stifle it, they squelch it. Why? Because they are committed to a life of ungodliness. This is what the Apostle John speaks of in John chapter 3. They would not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be what? Exposed. For the one who does the will of God does what? He comes to the light so that his sins might be reproved. The one who does the word of God, he comes to the light so that it might be made clear that his works are manifest in God. I might not be quoting that too correctly, but the idea is there. Here's a second reason for the wrath of God being revealed from heaven. And it is this, that in response to the truth of God, they recognized in creation, not only was it that men suppressed the truth of God, but they speculated about it. They speculated about it. Look at verses 21 and 22. For although they knew God. Stop there a moment. What does that suggest? That phrase, although they knew God. It suggests there that what Paul is about to tell us is this. That theirs was a deliberate, willful move to reject God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened Claiming to be wise, they became fools. We gather here that even as they speculated about what they knew to be true about God, they attempted to refute the idea of God. They could not stand it. In exalting their own human reasoning over above God's own testimony, his own revelation of himself, they sought 
to find all kinds of explanations, all kinds of theories for what they saw in creation. They sought to downplay the truth of God's existence, the truth of his power. Arnold Gablin, a Bible commentator of long ago, he made this observation and, 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 and he says this, quote, Man using his God-bestowed capacity through inventions is enabled to enter into the deeper into the mysteries of creation. With the two eyes science has constructed, the telescope and the microscope, researchers are untiringly prying into the mysteries of nature. With the telescope, man sweeps the heavens and brings to light the astonishing grandeur of the almost limitless universe. With the microscope, man explores a marvelous world in a drop of water. The scientist discovers marvels of order and design governed by unknown laws, yet strange. Here's what Gabelin says. Yet strange it is. While man explores God's creation and beholds creation's wonders and glories, most scientists remain unbelievers or try by their discoveries to disprove the knowledge God has revealed in his written revelation, the Bible. That's how we get evolution. No, it could not be God. It could not be an intelligent creator. It started with the Big Bang. Well, what started the Big Bang? We just don't know. This is precisely what the so-called intellectuals do in our day. And this is how crazy, how we get this crazy idea today that the world as we know it evolved over billions of years. Why? Because men, in the face of clear evidence of God's existence, of God's power, will have nothing to do with God. They reject the idea of God. Here's a third reason for the revelation of God's wrath. It is this, that in response to the truth that men saw in creation, they subverted it. We see this in verses 23, 25, and 28. First of all, verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Why would they do that? Why would they exchange the truth of God for a lie? Why would they serve and worship the creator rather than the creator? Because of this, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 3, 19. And that they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator is illustrated by the fact that while they will be lovers of pleasure, they will have nothing to do with God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It explains why today people will be more enamored with, the, with movie stars and celebrities than with the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator is the same thing. People today are excited about Hollywood stars and sports stars, basketball stars, football stars. But about the Lord Jesus, about God, no. That people will worship and serve the creature rather than the creator explains why it is that there are those who, while they can hate and oppose God, will at the same time make a big deal about the environment. They don't believe in God, you know. They don't believe in the God of the Bible. They don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But man, they'll die for the environment. Let me tell you, that is a manifestation of idolatry. That is worship. That is false worship. And that flies in the face of God's existence as the living God. 
People today will give more credence to the environment. They'll give more service to keeping the, to, to attending to the environment than they will be to the living God. It explains why, for example, they'll never refer to the creation as such. They'll never talk about the creation. They'll talk about Mother Earth. They'll talk about the environment. Why? Why not speak of creation? Because the moment you go down that road and begin to talk about creation, you have to talk about the Creator. The only time they're concerned about God is to get themselves off the hook. When it comes to disasters, they say, well, you know, we're not responsible for this. <laughs> this is an act of God. You see? Think of it. People, people blush today to use the name of God, to speak the name of Christ. But when it's convenient, they'll use it as curse words, they'll use it to swear, they'll use it in business, they'll use it in politics. And here's the point, God is bigger than that. What the word of God cites as creation, they refer to as nature. And why do they refer to it as nature? Because you see the word nature speaks of that which is natural in contrast to the supernatural. And the moment you begin to talk about the supernatural, guess what? You're going to have to talk about God who is supernatural. You see how this thing works? Men hate the knowledge of God. Outside of Christ, they are averse to the idea of God. They suppress the truth about God. They stifle it, they squelch it, and they subvert it. According to our text, the reason for the wrath of God being revealed from heaven is that in response to the truth of God in creation, sinful fallen men suppressed it, they speculated about it, they've lifted up their reason above God's revelation, they subverted it, they exchanged the glory of God for a lie, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Notice in verse 28 as we draw to a close. The ultimate expression of hostility, their hostility to the truth of God as evidence in creation. Notice what they did. They shunned it. They shunned it. With a seeming note of finality, the A part of verse 28 says this. They did not see it fit to acknowledge God. They didn't see it fit to acknowledge God. You remember what the man said they, 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 in the house? He says, in Congress, he says, this, this, this house does not recognize or acknowledge a deity, a God. It's politically incorrect today to talk about God, to take, talk, particularly to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want it. They said, take it off the money. Take it out of school. But interestingly... While you take the Bible out of school and while you take God out of school, you have no problem putting pornography books in school. You know, that's heavy stuff. Men in outside of Christ, they hate God. They, 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 they're scared to death about And guess what? It really takes a lot of energy. Think, when you stop to think of it, it takes a lot of energy to really resist God, you know. The truth it is often said swims like oil. You try, to put, you try to suppress it, you throw water on it, what happens? The truth comes up. And the fact that they are so adamant at resisting God, at resisting truth, only underscores the fact of the depths of their ungodliness. That's the idea here of our text. They did not see it fit to acknowledge God 
And notice these words, they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, along with the verbs exchange in verses 23 and 25, point to the fact that by their own moral evaluation of the evidence they saw in creation and their deliberate choice that people reject God. They make a moral evaluation of the evidence. They sum it up. They use their own reason. They say, listen, we can't deal with this. They suppress it. It disturbs them. And so what happened? They did not see it fit, so they shunned it. What do we take away from this this morning? We see something, beloved, that sin is a power. Sin is a power that causes the unsaved man, the unregenerate man, to fight against God. Sin really is madness. Because here it is, God in the gospel, Romans chapter 1 verse 17, the righteousness of God is being revealed. Why are people going to go to hell? Why is God going to pour out his wrath? Because men are unrighteous. Every single person is unrighteous. But God in grace, God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ has provided a righteousness. And here's what, you don't have to work for it. It's a free gift. Men refuse darkness rather than light. They want not righteousness. They want unrighteousness. And that is the heights of folly. It is the heights of madness. The unsaved man is in a predicament. He's in a bad way. Why? Because he's under a power. A power that in, that in an insane way drives him further and further away from God. And that is why, listen... At the end of the day, the only hope for this world, the only hope for any person, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us into right standing with God, that brings us into right relationship with God, that transforms us, that causes us to love righteousness and hate unrighteousness. That's what Christ offers in the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. Let me say this, wrath is not God's last word. You know that. He's a God of grace. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. May God bless these words to our hearts and particularly to those who are not saved. May you consider this. God wants to save. Judgment is his strange work.